Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 142 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Javert. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Well, I was born inside a jail. Okay. You guys know nothing of Javert. Welcome to the Lay Miz podcast. The Lay Miz cast. I bet the Lay Miz podcast actually exists, so we have to be careful not to step on any toes. You know, you could be right. Um, what I learned leading up to this podcast is that Toby knows nothing of Les Mis. Mm-hmm. You don't know any of the songs or any of the, you've never seen the movie. Okay. I will summarize my entire knowledge of Les Mis. Okay. Someone named Javert is upset about the revolution. <laughs> he was a prisoner and chairs, lots of chairs in a, in a wall, a barricade. That's it. Uh, did you just get that from our text messages ahead of time? No, that's been my understanding of Les Mis uh, since I was a child. And, oh, there was, a, I do remember, I have a very strong childhood memory of being very scared of the Les Mis poster um, mm. from the from the Broadway show, which features this, like, waif little girl with, like, haunting eyes staring at you uh, from the center of the poster. I think people might oh, recognize yeah. it if they saw it. Those are everywhere in San Francisco for like 10 years. Yes. And I, <laughs> I I thought it was legitimately supposed to be a scary musical for a while. Guys, I'm so in Les Mis where I'm like, duh, everybody's seen that. Are you kidding me? Billy, did you just choose this book because of the poster for a musical? No, 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 no. Uh, well, I have so much to say, but I feel like I have to save it for my review. I'm holding myself back. Toby. Where are you in the world? Oh, I knew this was coming. Uh, I'm somewhere in central Florida. It's actually pretty cold here, uh, shockingly. Yeah. But yeah, there were, I'm parked in a library parking lot. There's uh, live oak surrounding me hanging with Spanish moss. It's very southern. It's very lovely. Uh, I gotta say, I did not expect Central Florida to be uh, so beautiful. No shade, Central Florida, but it's got it going on. I like it here. Nice try. We're not moving to Florida. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but the the house prices are so cheap and Spanish moss. Did I mention that? <laughs> um. So where are you you're heading back to California, but Northern California is that right, Tobin? Uh, eventually, yes. But we are doing a long route across the South. We're going to hit up New Orleans. We're going to go lots of other places. We're going to maybe drop by Los Angeles. Heard of it? I have not heard of it. Yeah, I know. Sorry, Andrew. I hate to reference stuff you don't know. <laughs> Yes, we're going to visit you guys. Surprise. <gasps> I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, on your travels, Toby, did you pick up any shame? I did. I got some shame. Um, I got it from my wife. Ugh, Louise. <laughs> uh, she actually only got me two pieces of shame, which is uh, pretty good, I think, for a Christmas time shame. You know, compared to some people's Christmas time shame, which I hear can be like pretty huge. I don't mm -hmm. know if there's anybody on this podcast that relates to that. But... No, definitely not me. Huh. I had zero, so not me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, one of them is um, a book called Drift Glass by an author named Samuel R. Delaney. Um, he was an American science fiction author who worked primarily in the 60s and 70s, who I had honestly never heard of. Um, and it's a short story collection. I'm really enjoying it. I'm reading it right now. The other one is this really cool Penguin Classics edition of Jorge Luis Borges' Dr. Brody's Report, um, which I think is usually a story that's included in other collections but this is like a really cool, very thin edition.
adaptation of just this story. It's got this like terrifying cover where there's like a skeleton who looks like he's like chatting on the phone, but his his <laughs> hand is resting on another skull. And then there's like mountaintops in the background. I'll try to post it to the Instagram. It's, it's <laughs> quite a cover. Yeah, that defies my imagination. I was like, I'm with you. I'm with you. And no, I can't even. I, I don't have space for all these. All There's too many skulls. <laughs> it's one yeah, too many. I, I, will try and, I will try and supply that image. Um, sorry for any of you who slipped into a nightmare coma because of my description of that cover. Um, but yeah, those are my shame. And uh, I'm not too ashamed because I'm already reading one of them. Well, maybe that nightmare cover will make a good musical later. Mm. Maybe it will. Oh, connections. Connections. Bailey, I know on the last podcast you swore that you wouldn't buy any books at all until your birthday. Mm -hmm. Did you make it two weeks? What? Okay. So, yes. <laughs> I pre-ordered wow. a book okay. that came in. Does that count? You did. You called out your pre-orders. Okay. That, so, yeah, that is, right. Those are established. So then, that's yes. That's okay. Um, I did do another pre-order that came in, but that's it. That's it. I'm done. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, well done. Yeah. I think what I said last time was, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and you also bought another copy of LA Miz, so I don't know if that counts. Okay. Spoiler alert. Spo um, Andrew, do you have any shame? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> How dare I have shame? <clears throat> I would never. I've bought some Dungeons & Dragons books, but those won't be covered on the podcast. Mm. Until this slowly turns into a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. I know that's I what like it's I'm slowly morphing into in the background, but not yet. I mean... We don't hate money. <laughs> I'm sure there's space in the market. There's only 3,000 of them. Well, one thing is that since I've been reading Les Mis and since we did the episode on our wheelhouses, I've been really thinking, like, looking at the to-read list and thinking, what are the books that, like, I really don't want to read? Like, why do I have them on the list? It doesn't matter how long mm -hmm. they've been there or who gave them to me. Like, which ones am I like? I don't want to read that one. Not that I didn't want to read Les Mis, but, like, it was it was a big commitment. And so if I'm going to commit to a book, I'm going to want to read it. So I have proposed and I put them on the Instagram for those who care, 10 books to purge from my list to get them out of there. And I think I might just just dump those books. So I'm hearing that you're going to read 10 books for the next podcast. <laughs> I love how this is something I brought up like four years ago of Bailey, if you don't like these books, you can just get rid of them. But instead of doing that, you decide to start a podcast that would force you to read them. Okay, but these books, I don't think people are really going to care. Should I say the titles? You can, but know that the entire conceit of this podcast was to force you to read books that you had bought. <laughs> okay. Oh, mm. But the thing is, is I don't think these would be good podcast episodes. But, you know, I haven't officially purged them. So if you think, no, Bailey, we're going to do those. Just let me know. Okay. Number one, Bridge of Spies, a book that Dylan had, Whoa. that Dylan said that I would like. And here's the thing. I don't like spy books. I don't think I'm going to like that book. Is this the one that the movie was based on? Yes. Yes. Are you just saying that as a cover? <laughs> yes. Um, I'm secretly a spy. This other one called We Are Not Ourselves. It seemed like there's a lot of multi-generational family sagas where I'm like, I don't know. But Bailey, maybe your children or your children's children will like that yeah. book. Yeah. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> okay. Um, one... Um, Snow Falling on Cedars and Birdsong are both like, you know, romances that maybe I won't even like. Um, there's one that's the hist the history of feminism. That's nobody cares about that. Oh, whoa. Hey, hey. Oh, let the record show that Bailey said that. 
Call her Roxanne Gay because she's a bad feminist. No, I just feel like nobody wants me to review a book about feminism that was written in like 2005. I mean, stuff has changed. Um, then there's one called The Child in Time by Ian McEwen. This was given to me by my dad, but like a million years ago. And now I have a child and I don't think I want to read about a child dying. No, thank you. You have a child, but you don't have the time. And then um, the other ones, these are more controversial. People might like them. One is Orphan Train. That was given to me by Dylan's mom. I just don't think I'm going to like it. Another history book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. And then I looked it up on in, on Goodreads and your mom only gave it three stars. So it can't what? be that good. Um, oh, Eileen. Um, did she just dump it off on you? <laughs> I think she did. Um, then the book Hoot, which is for children. Oh, by Carl Hyacin? Ah, uh, that is a pretty I feel popular like people book. like that. Yeah. That one, I think you should, that's the only one so far I actually think you should keep. Okay. Then there's Little Bee by Chris Cleave. This one I had been interested in, but from my understanding, it's about an African girl, but written by a white dude. And I don't know that I want to read that. Seems cuttable. I mean, your favorite book ever was Number One Ladies Detective Agency, so I don't know why. That's true. true. <laughs> and last but not least is I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. This one people love, people including She Who Must Not Be Named, who wrote the Harry Potter books. Um, and I was really excited to read it, but um, I abandoned it. Like, I couldn't get into it. And so I was like, uh, so far, you guys think maybe just Hoot? Yeah, I think Hoot and I Capture the Castle, because I think you could dunk on I Capture the Castle, and that would be yeah. fun. It is funny that, like, some of these you were saying, like, I was 100 pages away from finishing it, and you've been kind of doing, what, 200 pages a day recently? Honestly, since doing Les Mis, I feel like a superpower. Like, I was looking at 100 Years of Solitude, and it only had 100 pages left, and I was like, you fool, you could do that in two hours. What are you thinking? <laughs> like, you just read a 1,300-page book. <laughs> How do you say you fool in French? Les fous. Idiot. Javert. <laughs> Javert. Um, le fou. Um, uh, that, that is, <laughs> Wait, did I get that right? It is le fou. Like, you know, like in Beauty and the Beast, his name is le fou. Le fou. Oh. oh, more than just a Disney movie, kids. <laughs> so I'll just say you guys were talking a lot of smack, saying I shouldn't get rid of any of those titles, but most of them are kind of boring, right? Just dump them. That's true. It is funny to hear you describe these books because you sound like a like an evil twin version of Bailey who doesn't like to read at all. It's like, oh, why read that book? I probably won't like it. Sounds boring. <laughs> Reading? Ew. <laughs> who likes fiction books? Not me. All right. So so the, I think I'm going to get rid of at least eight of those. Yeah, I still think Good you should keep me. them all on there. <laughs> I think you should add eight more. Because I, I, here's my suspicion, Bailey. I think you're doing this what? for the number, not for the books. Ooh, why not both? Why not both? <laughs> Andrew, have you never felt the need to go through your list? Because when I'm looking at your list, it's a lot of like books on theory and history. My list has some real stinkers on it, and I'm taking that <laughs> risk every day. <laughs> Gosh, I can't wait till you guys get your stinking books. Aren't you guys going to ask me if I want to cut some books from my list? Toby, I know you've cut some books from your list. <laughs> you monster. Toby, have like I just cut, 10 I books. I just cut five right now while we were talking. <laughs> I'm going to look at that one of the times for the choosing, and it's like, oh, Toby's done, I guess. <laughs> Toby's read all the That's books. That's how I resigned from the podcast. <laughs> Here's the thing. I want Bill to read Bridge of Spies really bad. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want you to read Bridge of Spies, too, because it'll be your Clive Barker. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, uh, well, Toby, I'm so excited to have you back, and I heard that you might have read something. Maybe. Was it dangerous? Don't be shy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. You always uh, Andrew gives me like a fifteen-minute pep talk before every podcast. It's really helpful. You're welcome. 
So, yes, I did. I read Running with Scissors by Augustine Burroughs. Snip, snap. Snip, snip. Snip, snip. So here we go, straight into it. Logline. In Running with Scissors, Augustin Burroughs recounts his early life, shuttling back and forth between his mother, a severely mentally ill poet with periodic bouts of complete disassociation, and his legal guardian, a deranged doctor who just so happens to be his mother's psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Checks mm-hmm. out, checks out. Mm-hmm. Sounds normal. Um, I did see, upon perusing my Goodreads, that Bailey has read this book. I have. I read it in college, so many years ago, um, and I liked it fine. I think... Um, I don't have many memories of it, except uh, there was a movie, so I can picture the characters in the movie, but I just remember people running amok in a crazy house. Mm-hmm. I have not seen the movie. I remember the the cover with the, with the the boy with the box on his head. Yeah, that was that. Yeah, yeah, was around my high school library yeah, like a lot. An, like an orangey school. red color. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also remember that this book and Weird Al's Running with Scissors were very much at the exact same time. No, they mm-hmm. were not. Yeah, they were. Weird. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a little uh, plot summary. Um, as far as plot, nothing much happens in this book. Um, Burroughs begins uh, begins the book in the care of his clinically depressed and often psychotic mother, who he adores, uh, and his functioning alcoholic father, who he hates. Uh, his mother considers herself a great undiscovered poet who is constantly trying to get published in the New Yorker. Um, and that's a kind of East Coast intellectualism that's always aspirational throughout the whole book. All the characters are kind of like, oh, if only I could go to this Ivy League school, my life would be different. If only we could get published in the New Yorker, my life would be different. Um, Andrew, are you feeling burned right now? I'm feeling burned. Just because he said East Coast? No. <laughs> yeah, roasted you. East Coast. Gotcha. Um, Bailey, you went to an Ivy League school. I did not. I didn't get in. <laughs> and Toby, you're on the East Coast. Oh, my God. I got myself. <laughs> so soon enough, uh, Burroughs' parents are divorced. And Burroughs' mother enters into the care of a completely insane psychiatrist named Dr. Finch. Uh, one thing leads to another, and eventually Dr. Finch ends up becoming Burroughs' legal guardian, and young Augustine is forced to live in Dr. Finch's dilapidated house along with the rest of his deranged family. Augustine mm-hmm. slowly, painfully comes of age in this chaotic environment, and antics ensue. That's the whole book. I remember there being siblings, but I guess they weren't. They were the kids of the psychiatrist. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he grows up in this house with Dr. Finch's uh, family, of which there are several children. Um, They all have their own distinct personalities. And Burroughs does seem to consider them his siblings, more or less. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to read you an excerpt um, just to give you a flavor of the text, because so much of this book is the kind of text itself. That's a, such a dumb thing to say. Wow. That's never been <laughs> so much thing of the I've book ever... is the words. <laughs> words. Words on a page. Toby, did I you read you this know book? I what I was trying to say. <laughs> Toby, are you like being the kid that didn't read the book for the book report? <laughs> so much of you the know, book is plot and character. <laughs> I want to talk about the back that I did read. <laughs> It doesn't help that this excerpt is from, like, the first page, which will also contribute <laughs> to you thinking that I didn't read this book. Um, okay. Um, so for this excerpt, Augustine is a young boy. He's watching his mother get ready to go out for a poetry reading. I mean, she's not happy with the way her dress looks. Okay, I see what's the matter, my mother says. She turns to me and smiles. Augustine, hand me that box, would you? Her long, frosted beige nail points to the box of Kotex maxi pads on the floor next to the toilet bowl. I grab the box and hand it to her. She takes two pads from the box and sets it on the floor at her feet. I notice that the box is reflected in the side of her shoe like a small TV. Carefully, she peels the paper strip off the back of one of the pads and slides it through the neck of her dress, placing it on top of her left shoulder. She smooths the silk over the pad and puts another one on the right side. 
What do you think of that? She says. She is delighted with herself. It's as if she has drawn a picture and placed it on her own internal refrigerator door. Neat, I say. You have a very creative mother, she says. Instant shoulder pads. I mean, honestly, good idea. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very ingenious. Um, so that is um, his writing style. Uh, now, the first thing I thought of um, that I think a lot of people who are familiar with both authors might think of when I got into this was David Sedaris. Um, mm. And I think for a lot of people, the comparison will be very obvious. Um, both of them use a kind of quasi-factual, quasi-fictional approach to storytelling. Both of them mix the horrific with the humorous. And both of them focus heavily on their families and how dysfunctional they are. Um, even the cadence of some of the joke telling is really similar with lots of flat silliness and ridiculous imagery. So I was actually kind of happy to start the book and I didn't realize how funny it was going to be. I think I had an impression that it was going to be much more serious and I found it extremely, extremely funny. Isn't it hilarious that a boy has a box on his head? I think that's funny. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um for a while, I was worried that I'd see Burroughs as only a variation of Sedaris, um, but there are lots of differences. Um, Sedaris touches on mental health here and there in his writing, uh, but Burroughs is much more focused on it, especially because he's kind of inundated in this bizarre situation. He's also a lot darker than Sedaris. Um, he's kind of seesawing back and forth between the hilarious situations and then situations that are so completely awful that you want to put the book down and, and kind of stop reading. Um, in particular, I found Burroughs' relationship as a 14-year-old boy with a 30-something-year-old man, one of Dr. Finch's other adopted children, uh, extremely hard to read, and I think it's meant to be. Um, but be aware, if you're looking to pick this book up, it gets extremely heavy uh, quite a lot of the time. Essentially, Running with Scissors is a collection of short stories or short essays drawn from Burroughs' life. Uh, with, as with all collections, some are funnier than others, some are more poignant than others. But on the whole, the entire collection is uh, up to a pretty high standard. I, I really enjoyed every single story. Just to kind of sum up, my elves are, it's funny, readable, and quite moving at times without ever slipping into being saccharine or overly done. And then my orcs is, it dips in quality just a little bit in the last quarter, um, with the stories getting a little bit meandering before the end. Um, but that was not enough to drag it down at all for me. I really, really enjoyed this. I am putting more Burroughs on my personal to-read list, and I gave this five stars. I, I have to say, I didn't want to spoil myself, but I saw in Goodreads that you added um, Dry and Wolf at the Table, and I was like, oh, you must That's have right. liked it. Cool. I saw, Bailey, that you rated this three stars. Listen, Defend yourself. Listen, I mean, who knows what 2006 Bailey was up to? Probably listening to The Shins. <laughs> Reading big books about feminism. <laughs> We could know what Bailey was up to because she wrote a review of this book. Oh, God. <laughs> Whoa. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Oh, no. Yes, you did. This is amazing. Uh, oh uh, Bailey's review. Three stars. December 16th, 2009. 2009. Okay. Guys, this is crazy. I read this cover to cover on July 4th. Parentheses. Yay, America. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed Burroughs' descriptions, parentheses, quote, she was looking at this one spoon that had a reflection of the ceiling light in it, almost like you could eat the light if you wanted to, like it was cereal, close quotes, close parentheses. I did feel, however, that two thirds in, he felt rushed to end it, and the last third lacks the sparkle of the beginning, which makes sense for a memoir, but oh well, exclamation mark. Hey, that's, the, that's essentially the same thing you said, Toby. It's true. Mm. It's true. <laughs> but you did give it three stars instead of five. I did forget to say yay, America. So yay, America. 
<laughs> oh, oh man. I'm embarrassed. This is going to be something I think about when I'm trying to go to sleep and I'm just like, oh, fool. <laughs> that was that was not No, bad that at all. that could have been way worse, Bailey. <laughs> I need to go back through Bailey's Goodread account and copy them all before she deletes them. <laughs> oh no. Well, thank you, Toby. That was an excellent review. It was an excellent trip back in time. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um 2009 2009 oh yeah now i'm just thinking about going back through my old goodreads but all right so running with scissors by gustin burroughs five stars andrew do you have any facts on this mysterious man i do y'all ready yeah (laughs) cool cool so augustin burroughs is not his real name what I know. Augustin Burroughs was born Christopher Richter Robeson in Pittsburgh, huh. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Go Steelers, Penguins. <laughs> Go the Steel Pirate Penguins. Um, mm-hmm. His mother was a poet and his father was a professor. Guess what? Just like the book, because the book's a memoir. <laughs> um, <laughs> Burroughs grew up bouncing around Massachusetts before his parents divorced when he was 12. So Toby sort of talked about his childhood because that's what this book is about. So I'm not going to delve too deeply into it. But let me just say that um, the Finches in the book Running With Scissors is not their real name. Uh, The name of the psychiatrist that got his legal guardianship was named Dr. Rudolph Turcotte, or perhaps pronounced Turcotte. I'm not entirely sure. Um, Spelled T-U-R-C-O-T-T-E who, among other things, believed that children became adults at 13, um, which led to him allowing Burroughs to drop out of the sixth grade. Oof. Mm-hmm. So if you want to learn more about that time of his life, I think it's probably best to read Running With Scissors. But to pick up on Burroughs' life a little later, uh, he received his GED at age 17 and then moved in to his own apartment in Boston, lived on his own. And that's when he legally changed his name to Augustine Zahn Burroughs, spelled X-O-N, hmm. like Zahn. Yeah, I think Zahn. If I saw it with an A, I would say Zan. So, yeah. After a brief attempt at college, he relocated to New York City and worked in advertising. Um, and he also took some time away at this point um, to get treatment for alcoholism, which is what is detailed in the memoir Dry, which came out a year after Running With Scissors came out. After that, he returned to Manhattan and then began writing. Uh, his first published work is not Running With Scissors, but it was a novel called Cellavision, which was published in 2000. But he received breakout success and acclaim for Running With Scissors, which was published two years later in 2002. And then he just went nuts in terms of publishing specifically memoir and autobiographical work. Um, Running With Scissors was, as I mentioned, a success when it was released. It spent some time on the bestseller list, got him some acclaim, got him some buzz, and it was quickly followed by some more works. As I mentioned, Dry in 2003, a book called Magical Thinking in 2004. Uh, Well, actually, Magical Thinking and Possible Side Effects, which came out in 2006, are both collections of uh, autobiographical stories. And then another memoir, A Wolf at the Table, um, which... Eagle-eared listeners may have noticed I said I thought Running With Scissors was on my list as well. It's not. A Wolf at the Table is. So we might get some more uh. burrows at some point down the road. Or if it gets doesn't get pulled from my list, if it gets pulled for Toby's, we have two chances of getting more burrows in our life. Double the burrows. You might get some bonus burrows in the future. I just like that you said mm. eagle-eared. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I think... Another podcast I listen to, who I'm now forgetting, uses the phrase eagle-eared, and I, I just took it unintentionally. Go it's a for it. Take on eagle-eyed. Well, I know that. Hey. I think she gets it, Dylan. <laughs> Eagles have eyes. As you called out, Running With Scissors was made into a movie. It came out in 2006, um, which brings us to the required mention of the Turcotte family lawsuit against Augustine Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, though this is less dramatic than I thought it was when I noticed that there were like articles written about it, but here it is. 
Though the name was changed from Finch um, and Rudolf Turcotte had passed away before the book came out, they objected to the portrayal of the family. Uh, they said they remembered it differently uh, and that things were fabricated. The lawsuit was settled, however, um, outside of a full court trial, and Burroughs considers it that it was settled in his favor. Um, he vigorously maintains the accuracy of what he wrote, and the only concession he made as a result of the lawsuit was that he added an acknowledgement to his acknowledgement section, which said that some people remember this differently, and he changed the word memoir in his author's note to book, though it is still marketed and categorized as a memoir. But the author's note says book instead of memoir. Interesting. If you read this book, you can see why the family would object to be to being portrayed in the way they are portrayed because uh, they came they come off as completely insane and and very uh, disregarding of uh, Burroughs' mental health. So I can mm. see why they would be upset. In 2013, uh, Burroughs married Christopher Schelling, his longtime partner in Staten Island, um, and they are still married to this day. His last published work came out in 2019 um, called Toil and Trouble, a memoir, which is discussing his coming out as a witch and his relocation from New York City uh, to a mansion in Connecticut, which I think we can all relate to. Don't I don't have any more information. on still No, Andrew, no. <laughs> what? I'm reviewing Running With Scissors and the facts around that, not about his coming out as a witch. Read the book if you want to know. What? By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. There you go. Um, so, yeah, I don't know more about that. I do want to know more about that. But I yeah. figured that was best saved for a discussion of uh, down the road of Toil and Trouble or more of, of Burroughs' work. Cool. I want to read that book. Good fact, Andrew. Do you think he's like, I'm going to become a witch because I need another memoir and I need something new? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, nah. So, yeah, that's Augustine Burroughs. And uh, I'm glad you liked the book. I'm now... Hoping that uh, Wolf at the Table gets pulled relatively soon. Cool. Yeah. All right. So again, thanks for those awesome facts, Andrew. The book is Running with Scissors by Augustine Burroughs, and the stars are five. Five, five, five. Stars are five. And from 2009, Bailey? In 2009, Bailey says three, but she was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) She was right for for her. How about that? Um, But Bailey, there's no use beating around the bush. We all know that you've worked very hard to read a book. And we're all dying to hear what you think. Can you sing from the rooftops your review of Les Mis? <laughs> well, I have been on my own. And it just takes one day more. But at the end of the day, it's time for my review of Les Mis. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Empty chairs at empty tables. Other songs, Master of the House. stuff. Pretty wild that this, this book has songs in it. <laughs> They're just like little MP3 players embedded in the pages, and you have to press. Yeah, wild that Victor Hugo did that. (laughs) (laughs) One day there will be such a device called an MP3 player. (laughs) All right. Well, yes, I did read Les Mis, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Um, I don't have any thoughts on it at the end. Just kidding. I have so many (laughs) thoughts. Okay. As I said in previous episodes, eagle-eared listeners will remember... This copy has been on my shelf since probably the 90s. And I know that because inscribed in this book is To Bailey, Love Nana, Thought You Might Like to Read Before You See the Play, Enjoy, in a copy that was published in 1996. I was 10 years old, but still, I don't think tweens can read this book. I barely got through it. All my tweens, rise up. Fight Bailey. (laughs) Bailey, you're going to have that TikTok (laughs) army coming after you. You're probably right. Okay, so... Listeners, you're about to hear some very nerdy stuff. I was researching the copy that I've had since 1999. And it turns out that the translation I have 
um, is by Wilbur. And it was done in 1862. So the translation was done about the same time as the book came out. And I was reading online because as I learned with Count of Monte Cristo and Anna Karenina, the translations matter. And this translation is basically like a lot of people are like, it's trash. It's terrible. (laughs) It feels dated at the time it was written and it shouldn't feel that way. And so it feels extra dated now. So I was like, huh, I've had this book for 25 years, but still... I think I need to get a new copy of it because I think I need a better translation to get through it. Nerd alert. Researched all the translations and I ended up with the 2013 translation by Christine Doniger. Um, And it's the Penguin Classics translation. And the cover I have, which is on Instagram, is designed by Jillian Tamaki, which you might remember from this one summer. Um, And it's very pretty. That did help me getting the right book. Are you guys still with me? (laughs) Uh, We're here. So... I'm sure listeners are familiar with Les Mis, but if you're not, the essential plot is it takes place um, the early 1800s. Um, Jean Valjean is a convict um, in the prison hulks where it's basically just like terrible treatment of prisoners in France. He is in prison for stealing a loaf of bread for his starving family. But he, you know, his sentence has been prolonged because he's tried to escape. Regardless, he gets out. Um, And he gets the opportunity to change his life and he adopts another identity and basically saves an orphaned girl because he has a relationship with the mother who passes away, the orphan girl Cosette. And then as they grow up together, they get involved with uh, the revolution of 1832, which is sort of a failed revolution. But it's epic scale um, and it's great. It's, yeah. it's hard to summarize. Oh, yeah, no, no. I wonder how many people would be like me and wrongfully assume that it's about like the the OG revolution, yeah. the French Revolution. A lot <laughs> of someone who has seen the musical and the movie. I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> OK, I mean, it has to do with the history of France. But basically, there was the revolution. So but there were people that still wanted, you know, no more monarchy. So it's, it's basically that they're trying to get rid of the kings again. OK, so once I got the book. As I said, I split it up into five sections. The book is in five parts. I thought I can do this. Um, What I didn't take into account is that Hugo likes to take his time. And I will give you an example. The book starts, for those of you who are familiar with the musical or the movie, it starts with a long several chapters about the Bishop of Ding. Uh, the guy who, in one line in, in the songs of Les Mis, gives the candlesticks to Jean Valjean and that, you know, changes his life. So that one guy gets like five chapters, maybe like 75 pages before Jean Valjean even shows up. So it doesn't start out very captivating. Is it just him walking around being like, I have all these candlesticks. What shall I do with them? No, it's like, don't you want to know like where he was born and how he grew up and his his entire family and all his opinions? So I was not feeling good. And also I started reading it around Christmas. I'm like, guys, this doesn't look good. But then the plot starts. You start to read about these characters that you've heard about, sung about, like Jean Valjean and Cosette and Fantine and Marius. And they all come and you're like, oh, this is so exciting. The plot is so cool. And there's parts of it where the pages just zip, 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 zip by. And then all of a sudden, Victor Hugo's like, hold up, see that momentum? I'm going to stop it for a second because I want to tell you the history and my opinions on nunneries. And you're like, why? (laughs) (laughs) And he will continually do this. He, He does an entire recount of the Battle of Waterloo, which takes place 
what, like 40 years before the events of the book. Um, he talks about nunneries. He talks about um, the history of Paris. He talks about it, just all this stuff that has nothing to do with the plot. And Hugo is kind of a character. Like he references himself. He'll be like, they passed this guy who happened to be related to the author of this book. Um <laughs> Um, and he'll say, this has nothing to do with the plot, but let me just tell you this stuff. And like there are parts of it that are interesting, but it's just to me, not as captivating as the actual plot. And I even joked about this on Instagram. This is a long book. It's 1300 pages. And I was getting to the end, 175 pages from the end, about to get there, really excited. Two characters are in mortal peril. And Hugo's like, let me tell you the history of the Parisian sewer system. I'm like, no, why? You didn't want to know about that? My opinion is, and from what I've read about Hugo, is he added in these digressions, which is what they're called, later after he'd written the book. And it's like, what if you just didn't do that and published your ideas in a different book? Well, no one would read that then. (sighs) Also, I was going on Goodreads and a lot of men were mansplaining to people who who expressed the same opinion and said, everything's important. Read the whole thing. It's all important. And I'm like, it's not, though. It's really not. I was just going to say, you know, there's like a piece of writing advice where it's like, you know, you should write your first draft and then go back and cut, you know, 25 percent of it. And it's like Hugo saw that advice in a mirror and he's like, <laughs> oh, no, my, bu- my book is not done. You know, that writing piece of advice where you should finish your first draft and then copy and paste some Wikipedia articles into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's that, but it's, I mean, I know we're joking, but it's also like treatises on like his opinion. And it's like, this just doesn't feel related to the book Um, Mm -hmm. anyway. um, But there are people online who will say it's all important. I say, if you're good at skimming, skim that stuff. And you can even look Mm. online. Apparently a quarter of the book is digressions. People have figured it out. So what's a quarter of 1300 pages? That's a lot of pages. That's the orcs. With that said, I really need to... Hammer home, bring him home, <laughs> the elves. <laughs> this book, there's so many parts of it that are so wonderful. The characters are great. Jean Valjean, I think I could write a paper on how he is the original superhero. There's a lot of plot in this book that isn't in the musical, but like you need to know, guys. All right, Jean Valjean left prison, right? He has superhuman strength, but he's also pious. And he has a mission, but he can climb and scale walls without ropes. And he can like jump and save people off pirate ships. And he can be buried alive and still live. And that was very exciting. There were parts of the book that are not in the musical, such as, as I said, the jumping from ships and the being buried alive that are very fun and surprising. I also really liked, I mean, Hugo, I think, has a complicated relationship with women, but I enjoyed his female characters. Eponine is very different in the book than in the musical. You might remember in the musical, she's the one who sings On My Own, and you just feel bad for her because she loves Marius, and Marius just loves Cosette. Toby, this is, you you understand all this, right? Do you want to give a summary, Toby, of what you think Les Mis is about? Didn't I already do that at the beginning, though? Okay, so Eponine is very different in the book than in the musical. Um, She's not as big of a character. You don't feel as bad for her, at least I didn't. Um, but things you learn in the book that you don't know necessarily from the musical. You may recall Gavroche as the little boy running through the streets, the street urchin who's like, hey, how you doing? My name's Gavroche. <laughs> okay, he is Eponine's brother. And they are both the children of Thénandier, who's the master of the house. So like everybody's connected to everybody. Reading the book gives you a lot more information and 
at the same time, it's so dynamic and the characters have so much feeling that you can understand why it would be a great musical. On top of the amazing um, themes of it's about revolution, yes, but not the French Revolution. It's years after that. Um, It's about like a sort of a failed revolution. um, But the people rising up, you know, do you hear the people sing singing the song of angry men? It's the music of a people that will not be slaves again. Wow, that was a good rhyme, Bailey. Where's that from? I don't know. I just kind of just came out of Hamilton. (laughs) 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 And I think it really made me appreciate the musical more. Like I didn't love the Tom Hooper movie, but then I went back and watched it, and I was like, oh, it's cool how he summarized that part in this way, or he put that on screen. I actually think that the movie does it better than I thought it did. Um, With that said, as I said, Hugo takes his time, so you might know the song. Who am I? Which goes basically, who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. That's like 200 pages in the book where he's like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I do this? And there's another part that's like summarized in one second in the film that's like 500 pages. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It adds depth, but also if you know where it's going, it's like, okay, let's get there. All this to say, I really, really wish I could give this five stars but the digressions just slowed down the momentum for me. And I really wish that he could just cut himself down a little bit. So ultimately, I'm giving it four stars. What would Jean Valjean do? He'd be true to himself. He'd tell the truth. Here's the thing. Like, you know, a man like him will never change. Um, mm. With that said, I actually would recommend people read it, especially people who are good at skimming. And I was learning <laughs> that um, there are exactly 365 chapters. Some of them are just a paragraph long. Some of them are more like 10 pages long. So 365, you could read a chapter a day and read it in a year. Well, there you go. Huh. So just an idea. Um, yeah. Okay. So do you guys have any questions for me or any facts about Hugo? I don't know. Yeah. Any questions? I don't know. Uh, I think you did a great job reviewing <laughs> it. Asked this before. Yeah. Uh, good job, yeah. Bailey. Uh, I feel put on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating. There's going to be a test on this later about the French sewer system. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I know we've we've covered Victor Hugo before uh, with Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I remember that he used to write naked, and that's all I remember. But Andrew, that's you, all I remember too. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any other facts? I do. I, I mean, that's the fact I remember too. But there were a couple other ones as I was looking over his life again. I was like, I am shocked. I forgot that. Um, but yes, we have done Victor Hugo before. Uh, we've referenced him in episode six, The Hunchback of Notre Blonde. One of our, mm. our better episode titles, I feel. Um, <laughs> so, some brief biographical notes. His full name is Victor Marie Hugo. He lived from 1802 to 1885. Pretty good run for that era. And he was a poet, novelist, dramatist, essayist, and politician. He was part of um, like a representative equivalent. Um, He was exiled for a time during another period of monarchy in France, only returning after Napoleon III fell from power. And during a siege of Paris by the Prussian army, he was one of a number of people who were provided animals from the Paris Zoo to eat. So he ate some zoo animals at one point. (laughs) They don't have a record of which animals? Nope. It might be somewhere, but he said he was eating, quote, the unknown. There's just a random digression and it is about what giraffes taste like. (laughs) Do you think that there was one guy that where they're like, guys, this is terrible. We have to eat the zoo animals. One of them's like, I really want that flamingo. I've been waiting. <laughs> I call it dips. 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 <laughs> Double dips. I'm just going to eat this whole zebra naked. <laughs> one last fact about him. He is buried in the Pantheon. Take that, Dylan. Oh. But do you know who's buried in Père Lachaise, according to Les Mis? Everyone. Jean Valjean. <gasps> Amazing. 
Um, could have used that last episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Toby, how glad were you that you didn't have to play that game? That game seemed hard. <laughs> that's all. I'll, that's all I'll say. Well, wait till this week's game. <laughs> so, some facts about Les Misérables, specifically, and I did not pronounce that any way other than perfectly. That's great. Um, Thank you. Uh, it was published in 1862, um, which is actually during Hugo's exile. He lived in Jersey, one of the island, the Channel Islands. And it was first released in Belgium, actually, specifically because he was not living in France at the time. This is in Hugo's own words to his Italian publisher. He said, quote, I don't know whether it will be read by everyone, but it is meant for everyone. It addresses England as well as Spain, Italy as well as France, Germany as well as Ireland, the republics that harbor slaves as well as the empires that have serfs. Social problems go beyond frontiers. Humankind's wounds, those huge sores that litter the world, do not stop at the blue and red lines drawn on maps. Wherever men go in ignorance or despair, wherever women sell themselves for bread, wherever children lack a book to learn from or a warm hearth. Les Miserables knocks at the door and says, open up, I am here for you. And also the people who really want to know about sewers. <laughs> There's an introductory note by Victor Hugo in, in the book, and it says, as long as there are ignorance and poverty on earth, books of this kind may serve some purpose. Dude really believed in his, in his work, I'll say that. If you never feel confident about your writing, just remember, what would Victor Hugo do? <laughs> so... Some contemporary reactions or contemporary-ish reactions to it. Upton Sinclair of The Jungle um, described it as one of the half-dozen best novels of all time. I assume the all other five were all The Great and Secret Show, and this was the only one that wasn't that. <laughs> you might have recognized it from his podcast, episode three. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's kind of funny. It had like the 1800s equivalent of like modern day hype with the New York Times, the paper of record, uh, teasing the book as early as 1860 when it wasn't published for another two years, being like, guys, get excited. Hugo's writing this book. Gotta check it out. What's it called? The Miserable. He began work on it in the 1840s, um, but the novel was published in 1862. He did take time off um, in the middle of it. But yeah, I think that's why they were teasing it because he's like, guys, I'm going to finish this book. And they're like, are you going to put any stuff about Waterloo? He's like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps it had buzz around it in a way that I felt, I feel like is sort of more of a modern thing, but it's fun to see that it <laughs> existed in its own way in the 1800s as well. Um, that said, all that said, talking about the hype, the reception by critics was not universal or even primarily positive. Um, uh, with some criticism that the subject matter wasn't moral, that it was too sentimental, or that it sympathized with revolution, <laughs> um, which I think it did. <laughs> I got gassed. <laughs> um, a contemporary review in Le Monde by L. Gauthier said, uh, one cannot read without unconquerable disgust. <laughs> Wow. Excellent. Uh, noted funny name haver Flaubert said he found neither truth nor greatness in it. <laughs> okay. Neither truth nor nice. greatness? Come on, Flaubert. Flaubert. Come You're on. You're better than that. Flaubert. I mean, <laughs> notorious sewer hater Flaubert. <laughs> uh, and Baudelaire um, was like publicly sort of warm on it, but it was said to say in private that it was, quote, repulsive and inept. Um, Flaubert, Baudelaire. What did Voltaire think of it? Voltaire, Voltaire has, was long dead. dead. I know. <laughs> I know. He just, he just rhymed. <laughs> That's fair. Um, it was that also banned by the Catholic Church. Well, duh. Mm. The book? Well, well duh. I don't know. I, well, yeah, wait a minute. Don't priests no, come the, off good in this? The book is very religious, but it's kind of anti-religion, but like very pro-God. All that said, the good and the bad 
Ultimately, it was a massive financial and commercial success for Hugo. It was very successful despite all the haters looking at you, Flo Bear. <laughs> and so that's the facts I have. Obviously, it was later made into a very successful musical and later film adaptation. Uh, and Bailey recommends reading about 75% of it. <laughs> I want to add one thing, um, which is I was looking at the Wikipedia and apparently someone made an unauthorized sequel. <laughs> oh, oh yeah there have been a couple of those actually and the hugo estate sued them which is like good for them oh i missed that part i just saw that there was a list of unauthorized sequels yeah thank you for those facts andrew i'm sorry if i jumped on them i did get like my book has a an introduction and it talks a little bit about hugo so i know a little bit no no it's totally cool J just because we covered him already i sort yeah. of pick and choose so i'm glad you brought in some specific ones for this um that is les miserables by victor hugo four stars give it a read Give it a try. Or just listen to the soundtrack and just call it a day. Just a little pinch. Da, 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 da. Um, Andrew, do you have any games? Well, sort of, but not really. Ooh. Oh. So this is actually Bailey's idea. So credit to you, Bailey, here. we In the interest of sort of switching up what we do on the podcast a little bit and... We're not doing an original game that I've created today. Also, real talk, we just did a game about France, and I was having a hard <laughs> trouble thinking of ideas. We're doing a BuzzFeed community quiz to find out which character in Les Mis we are. Heck yeah. yeah. This quiz was created by community member Nick J. Tiedemann. Cool. He has 810 points. Is it called Who Am I? I'm Jean Valjean. <laughs> no, it's called Which Character from Les Miserables Do You Relate To Most? <laughs> okay. And then the, the subtitle is specifically Are You Eponine or Cosette? Even though you can be other answers. <laughs> uh, I'm ready. Does Dylan get to play? Uh, all right. Yeah, Dylan gets to play. I have four devices open in front of me so I can I'm going to keep track for all of you. I will say real quick, usually when you take these quizzes, like if you take the Harry Potter quiz, you know, like, you know the book well enough because you've read it. You're like, oh, well, this question is going to lead me to be a Slytherin or whatever. But because I haven't taken in any of this information, I will get a true reading <laughs> on which character I am. Because I don't know which, who, you know, I know Jean Valjean is Captain France and that's it. So. Well, Toby, if it asks you if you want to steal a loaf of bread, think about it very carefully. <laughs> Toby, that's, that's such a Javert thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we all get Javert. All right, first question. Your friends would describe you as one, stubborn, hilarious, adventurous, hardworking, or naive. I'll go first. I'm hilarious. I will say stubborn. Take I'll say stubborn as well. <laughs> all right, Toby's also on the stubborn train. How about you, Dylan? I'll take hilarious as well. Nice. All right. <laughs> Next question. What sounds like your ideal Friday night? Staying in, hanging out with friends, dinner with a friend, bar hopping, or going out to the club? Bailey, should I mark you down for staying in? Rude. Yes. <laughs> Bailey's marked down for staying in. Uh, I haven't read the book. How many of these activities does Jean Valjean do? Does he go out to the club? I mean, I don't want to spoil the quiz, but he does a lot of bar hopping. No. I'm going to take E, man the barricades. <laughs> uh, I'll take I'll take bar hopping. All right, bar hopping for Dylan. What about you, uh, Toby? I'm going to say dinner with a friend. I said staying in. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Question three. We are at the hump day of the questions. Um, this one is a real thinker for you, Toby. Uh -oh. And I love that it's on this quiz. Who's your favorite Les Mis character? Yes. <laughs> yes. 
So the options are, we only have five choices though. So if you have a side character who's your favorite Bailey, you're out of luck. Um, but we have Valjean, Cosette, Malleus, Fontaine, or Eponine. I choose, I choose Gavroche. I was so clear. <laughs> Not everyone's on this option. I am going to say Eponine because I've only seen the musical. I choose the Parisian sewer system. <laughs> All right. So that's mm, Marius. Um, Marius. Yeah. Choose, put me down for Marius. Cool name. I choose Jean Valjean. All right. Bailey's on the Valjean train. And Dylan, what about you? I'll choose Jean Valjean as well. Okay. Nice. Captain France. All right. And Andrew, who do you choose? I chose Eponine because I have not read um, the book. I've just seen the movie <laughs> and seen the music. One more day all on my own. All right. That's all good. That was, yeah, you did that in like a um, New Yorker Guys and Dolls accent, which was impressive. That's what she sounds like. <laughs> she sounds like Adelaide. Okay. Um, so question four of five. What is your favorite music genre? Now, there are some real good options here. Is Les Miserables an option? <laughs> no. Number one, Christian music. Oh, wow. Number two, rock. Number three, pop. Number four, hip hop. <laughs> no opinion. I really, I really wanted the last one to be devil music. <laughs> <laughs> I do six. I don't listen to music as I chase men across time. <laughs> I, I'm gonna do uh, pop. Okay. Anyone else? I'm I'm putting down hip hop. Okay. I'm gonna say pop as well. Kidoki. I'll do. Wait. What was the the second one? Rock. I'll do rock. Rock. Cool. Awesome. Last question here. This one's gonna be really great for Toby too. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Les Mis song? At the end of the day, don't remember that one. At the end of the day, da 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 da. Yes, it's true. There's a child, and the child is my daughter. <laughs> okay, okay, that's fun. All right, we collectively have about forty seconds of Bailey singing the Les Mis soundtrack. So we're about to get sued. Uh, we have lovely ladies. Lovely ladies, da 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 da. Okay, this is great. I really want Billy to sing a section of all of them. So well, she's going to have choice. to because you've never heard these songs. Um, Master of the House. Master of the House. Da 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 da. I'm going to steal your stuff for fun. Da 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 da. A lot of these songs have da 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 da's or la 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 la's in them. I feel like they should really finish the songs before they you know, put you? it on as a musical. How dare you? Um, all right. Uh, a Heart Full of Love. A Heart Full of Love. Thank you. I don't remember that song at all. It's the song between (laughs) Marius and Cosette. And then the last option is One Day More. One Day More for Revolution. Uh, Mm, Okay. Cool. I choose One Day More. Yeah, that one's... Okay, Bailey, you choose One Day More. I am going to choose One Day More, too, because it really gets me freaking going. Uh, I'll do At the End of the Day. Mm. Right? Because I'm cynical. Uh, Ooh, the, the results are coming in. I know who your answers are, and I know my own. Toby, it all comes down to this. All right. I'm going to say Master of the House. It's got like a like a really catchy tune to it, at least how Bailey sang it. And I don't even know if that's accurate. So <laughs> Amazing. And I got, guys, I didn't know this was going to happen. And I thought it wouldn't happen, in fact. We all got different answers. Ooh, yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. With a five-question quiz... With people with good. similar tastes, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> That's impressive. All right, so I'm going to start with Dylan. 
Dylan, don't you be running away from Hathaway because you got Fantine. Oh. Congratulations. <laughs> Dreamed a dream that life would be so different oh. from this hell I'm living. I was about to say, I, dream, I dreamed this game would go a lot differently. <laughs> 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 so sorry, that's a bummer, Dylan, but congratulations on your Oscar. Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Toby, you're next. Sure. It is you, Javert. <gasps> Toby, oh, got Javert. Toby got Javert. <laughs> Toby got Javert. <laughs> Captain France, baby. Nope, nope. Jean Valjean is Captain France. You got the guy who is in love with him and hunts him for stealing a oh. loaf of bread for a thousand years. We all need to talk about Javert's oh, okay. song, Stars, because there's a point where he's like, I swear by the stars that I will see his face in jail. No, in jail. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, interesting. <laughs> I got Eponine, which I guess is my favorite character, but apparently in the book, she's mean. So I don't know how to feel about this. Well, the thing mm. is, is Eponine, like both Eponine and Cosette are raised by the Thenindiers. <gasps> and Eponine is their actual child, so they're nicer to her. And so she's mean to Cosette just because she's like, no, you can't play with my doll. No, doing the math, though. Andrew, does that mean that Bailey is? Who am I? Am I Jean Valjean? Uh, no, <gasps> Bailey is not Jean Valjean. Am I Marius? Bailey is co... No, Bailey's Jean Valjean. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no one got Marius or, or Cosette, but I'm just glad we got a good distribution. But yes, congratulations. You are Captain France himself. Jean Valjean. Wait, who, but who got prisoner 24601? <gasps> it it's, it's a different person. They've never been in the same place at once. Monsieur Le Maire. 24601. <laughs> Guys, here's the thing. People who know Les Mis are going to love all my jokes. They're going to be like, oh, dang. And also, we're so sorry for people that don't know Les Mis for this entire episode. I feel like the Venn diagram is pretty circular. <laughs> That's true, yeah. I've well, seen Andrew, I love, I fully support doing BuzzFeed quizzes because I'm Jean Valjean. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Jean Valjean. Uh, well, thanks for playing, y'all. I hope that was fun. I'm really glad everybody got different things, and I'm especially glad that Toby is Javert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I love know it. what that means. Okay. Well, that was excellent, and now I'm excited but also nervous about the next part of our podcast, which is when Dylan chooses books at random from our shelves to read next. Dylan... If this is a long book from the 19th century, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> Dylan, it's time for The Choosening. Oh, The, the choosening? choosening? Don't blame me. Blame the numbers. <laughs> Do I have number 24601? <gasps> <laughs> Bailey, that I know that this was really hard and that you're kind of worried if this podcast was made for you or is welcoming. Mm but don't worry, Bailey. What? No one belongs here more than you. Number 84. No one belongs here more than you. By Miranda July. <laughs> that, I think, is the most Ooh. different book that there could possibly yeah. be. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know, Miranda July is like a quirky filmmaker, contemporary. And this is a book of short stories that I assume are quirky. She's a lot of things besides filmmaker. She might have been an author first. I don't know. But these are very quirky. She literally tries to switch up what she does every time. Yeah. Like, that's like part of her mission statement. But we'll get into that. Oh, no, that's I have to do the facts. Time. <laughs> It's also only like 200 pages, so that's exciting. Yeah. Well, I feel bad for Toby because this might take a while for him to cover. Uh-oh. It might take him an entire year to cover number 48, A Year of Magical Thinking by Joan Didion. 
Ooh. Oh, appropriate. Uplifting, uplifting, happy book. Ooh, yeah, I'm very excited uh, to read this. Um, yeah, I've never read read any Didion, and it's one of those big, big names that, you know, has always been on my list. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I've, I've read and really enjoyed this book, and it's going to be some extra poignancy to the fact that she just passed. So I'm excited to hear your view, and you better like it. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. It would feel pretty bad trashing this book right about now. <laughs> if he doesn't like it, there won't be anybody on the podcast. It'll be empty chairs and empty tables. Ooh. Ooh. That's another lame Miz. Can't wait reference. for this episode to be over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Look, at the end of the day, it's a good podcast. <laughs> so that means in two weeks, I will be reading No One Belongs Here More Than You by Miranda July and Andrew's covering White Noise by Don DeLillo. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List podcast. And if you want to help us find new listeners, a great way to do that is to leave a rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice, particularly true for Apple Podcasts, as it helps the algorithm work in mysterious ways to help all the Javerts out there find the Jean Valjean that is our podcast. <laughs> um, and if you have a friend who has survived dangerous activities, such as running with scissors get it um you can tell them about our podcast the best advertisement is word of mouth and we always love when people tell each other about our podcast thanks to toby and andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me to dylan for sound recording to jean valjean for following his dreams and to miss jillian beth durkee for composing our intro song see you in two weeks happy reading books books books, books. books.